Welcome to ClearCast. I'm your host, Tim Dukeman, here with our producer, Martin, and of course, Pastor Dave. And today, we're going to talk about money. And money can be a contentious topic for a lot of people, but we're hoping that Pastor Dave can bring us some good wisdom um, and help us see how, even if you're not Scrooge McDuck diving into a vat of gold coins to swim around, maybe the Bible still has something to say to you. So, Pastor Dave... <laughs> What does the Bible have to say about money anyway? I don't know, but I love DuckTales as a kid. So good. <laughs> I love the vision of all the people that are swimming in vats of gold just turning off this podcast because they're like, oh, I don't need this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's it's interesting uh, to talk about money. I When I think about it, what's the Bible have to say about money, I think a lot and not much. Like, it depends on how you look at it. It Money is, the Bible doesn't say money's bad or money's good or money's your God or mm-hmm. or anything anything like that. Um, throughout church history, people have, Christians have viewed wealth in very different ways. Yeah. Good, bad, to be avoided. Um, on the one hand, you've got vows of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, modern days, you've, you know, nowadays we've got the health and wealth gospel where it's like, yeah. so it, it, you run the gamut of how Christians so-called at least, um, have thought about money. What's mm-hmm. the Bible say about it? Well, it's, it exists, um, and there's, it, it can be dangerous. It's not morally mm-hmm. uh, good or bad. Right. Um, having money doesn't make you a morally good person. Uh, being poor or uh, without doesn't make you a morally bad person necessarily. Right. Um, there's a lot, it does present a lot of danger, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably the biggest uh, warning uh, that comes to my mind is where Paul says that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, not money is the root of all sorts of evil. Yeah, not, not money yeah. itself, but but the love of money. Right. Um, you think of how much of the law, how much stealing, coveting, lying, you know, these last, yeah. the last three commandments have to do with money or wealth or a lack of those things or a desire for those things. How much of Proverbs is filled with wisdom about how you gain your wealth and whether wealth, if you're a miserable person or have a miserable family, like whether it's worth it or not, that wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. There's, right. just, there's lots of talk of money. And generally, uh, I can't think of a scripture that, that says like, this is what is, should be really important to you as a, mm-hmm. as a Christian. Um, yeah. and I, it's a hard topic to talk about because as soon as you talk about money, it's like, it's either, it's either, so you're telling me that I should be, I should take a vow of poverty. And it's like, I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Or it's saying like, I'm not being a good steward if I'm not a millionaire. Right. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, well, I think a, we, we can immediately say no one should take a vow of poverty or almost no one. It should be a very, like, I, maybe you could imagine a, a wild scenario, but in general, vows of poverty are bad because it's an abdication of the responsibility that God's given you. Like it, it's, it's burying your talent in the ground. At least in, I mean, in our society, perhaps. Yeah. Because of, because our, our society is built centers so much on money as being a, mm-hmm. a means of commerce. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it may be in times gone by, it would have been a more acceptable thing. I, I do think even if Christians, 
you know, if we set aside this whole idea, it's almost comical of vows of poverty right. and replace that with standards of living. Yep. I do think then we have a more meaningful conversation that Christians should be having and thinking about in terms of their money, their finances, um, and the pressures that they're facing from within themselves and from society in general. So what do you mean as far as standards of living? Um, draw that a, l- a little bit more. Um, what does the Bible have to say about standards of living and w- how specifically should we be responding to that? Um, th- so when I think of standard of living, I think that the scripture, Paul says that with you know with food and covering or shelter, you mm-hmm. shall be content. Right. And everyone's like, well, that's, so we're just supposed to be poor people. And I'm like, that's, that's not actually what that text says. Right. Though... Um, I think when I think of that passage, what I think of it is, is in terms of minimum um, thresholds. Right. Um, food and shelter, all of us, I venture to say, who are um, in America or in the Western world, right, have much more than food and shelter. Right. There's a there's a sign, uh, a billboard just down the street from our church that says, it's uh, got a picture of a woman on it, and it says that it says sometimes hunger is hard to to spot, and I'm like. I don't know that in America we're the best people to be talking about not having enough, right? Or hunger being a real big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and I'm not here to say you know it's like we'll qualify every single breath you take in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that there aren't people who aren't hungry or who don't have enough or whatever. But the fact is, there's if if our expectation is that if there's ever a limitation that something is wrong then we're finding ourselves out of step with all of time. Like people mm-hmm. have always been constrained by the amount of food, the amount of money, the number of mouths they have to feed. Like this right. is all we've, mankind has always faced these pressures and, and have, and even at the point of food have had to say, this is all we have. So this is all we can, can, can eat right. or, or buy, right. or this is where our standard of living is. Mm-hmm. Um, is set for us. I think nowadays we live with in such decadence that um, we think about standard of living and we just, uh, we can actually have the conversation about picking it. Mm-hmm. Generally when I say you should, you should, uh, you think about your standard of living. What I'm, what I'm meaning is you should consider living on a lower standard of living than you're capable of mm-hmm. because we all, for the most part, have an excess yeah, and if we don't have an excess, there's probably clear reasons as to why right. we don't have an excess. That could be uh, that 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 uh, there's an injury and we're not able to work. Um, it could be that we're in a really depressed area of the country. It could be that we're um, we've made really poor decisions financially and have have gotten ourselves mm-hmm. uh, all wrapped up with with debt. But usually we can point to our to us to some sort of reason for the limitations right. generally I, I think if if you're not making really uh short-sighted or foolish financial decisions you're going to have flexibility right. um in your in your in your finances i, I you know I, I suppose one thing that could could affect these things um that would be abnormal from society is if you have a really large family mm-hmm. um, that's going to have implications on your standard of living um that are inescapable, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely true. And um, I think the tendency is for a lot of us to say, okay, well, 
I don't make $300,000 a year. So it makes sense that I don't have any money saved for retirement, or it makes sense that I don't give much to the church, or whatever it is. Um, but what it comes down to in, in most cases, there, there are exceptions, but in most cases, it's because you've made a choice. You've prioritized one thing over another thing, and usually that's you prioritize your convenience, or you've prioritized your lifestyle, or a certain level of luxury, or going out to eat, or whatever that whatever that thing is. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to recognize that the way we spend our money is us, it's revealing what's in our heart. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's true. And I, when I find, you know, th- this season is, you know, what I wish someone would have told me in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was young, I had more money, more discretionary income, mm-hmm. more ability to do whatever I wanted financially than I've ever had being married or having children. Right. And probably, you know, projecting out in the future, I, it will probably still be the case even when I'm retired and all my kids are out of my house, that I still will have had more financial wiggle room mm-hmm. when I was young than any other time in my life. And so when I hear young people today talk about how hard it is financially for them, I look back on my own uh, youth and think, I was really, really stupid with mm-hmm. money. Like if I had been smart with money, yeah, I had a lot of money to be smart with. The mm-hmm. problem was I was I had a lot of money and was stupid with it. Mm-hmm. And that's not society's fault. That's not my my parents' fault. That's not the church's fault. That's my fault. Mm-hmm. And learning to take responsibility for my own actions, my own choices. Mm-hmm. I chose to do this with my money instead of that. Right. Um. Those consequ- those decisions have real um, lasting consequences, and I think as a society we've we've gone away from this idea of personal responsibility to um, self entitlement, and right. so we look around and say, well, I I want to be able to ha- do this or have that, so I'm I deserve it. I I work hard. I judge that I work hard, so yeah. I get these perks, right? Uh, because my friend does, mm-hmm. or because my parents have it, or Mm-hmm. Because what I see on social media, um, I just don't think those are those are dangerous ways to process the. I mean, a lot of areas of life, but money and finances. Right. Like math is math. Math doesn't isn't different in the twenty first century than it was in the second century. Mm-hmm. Or that you know, it's math is math. Things you know, addition and subtraction are have have held true and stood the test of time. Right. So. Yeah, I I run into this sometimes in my work. I'm a financial advisor. And sometimes I, I, I sit down with people and they say, well, I'm 58 years old and I, ne- I really need to retire in seven years. And I've only got $50,000 saved towards retirement. And sometimes I have to just tell them, that's not going to happen. Like the math doesn't work. And I think something that a lot of people don't think about with finances is that there is an extent to which – there's an expiration date on how long you can stretch this out. You can only be foolish with money or unwise or in in some cases like just ha- something happens to you and you just have to roll with that. But if it does, but in most cases people are – if they aren't um, storing up for the future, if they're not being responsible, 
it, it's a, it's a choice they made, and you can only do that so long. There's an expiration date. There's there's a time limit on this, and if you miss your window, then you missed it. There's no going back. And I, I have to tell people like I'm not a magician. I can't spin your straw into gold here. There's only so much you can do investing. You like there's no substitute for just uh, getting people to save more. That's a lot of my job is just getting people to save more. Um, it's and it's not actually, um, it's not actually me working my magic all the time. Right. So yeah, you've got to have the right ingredients. And I think that one of the struggles, um, just today, especially with young, especially with young people, though, you, it's not the sort of thing you outgrow. It's just being very short sighted mm. and just doing what feels good now and not learning or building strength um, to plan for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can talk about this with money and it might be hard, but I've got, I have friends uh, who are not Christians who they do not want to get married. They do not want to have kids. They just want to go have fun. And it's what they're doing. Mm. Like they're, they're, they're just, they travel, they've got money, they go do fun stuff. And I'm left looking at them. Like I said to one of them recently, I said, well, if you, I said something about having a kid, I'm like, well, if you got married and had a child, he's about my age, I think he's 35, 38, something like that. I said, well, if you got married and you had a child, then, um, you wouldn't be able to do the things that you're doing right now. And he, he looked at me and he was like, the look on his face was, I'm not getting married and having kids. Why are you saying that? Cause I know that's what his actual priority is. Mm-hmm. Like he's avoiding that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, but when he caught himself and he says, well, yeah, that's true. If, if I got married and if I had a child, I wouldn't be able to do this. And I'm like, okay, but yeah, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, but you're in your late thirties and I'm like, the window's closing on that. You being able right. to do that. Like that's, you don't get, you, you might regret it in your fifties, but you can't change it in your fifties. Right. And, and who's going to be there for you when at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and at your birthday and you know, who's going to be around for you? Cause you're not, you've not prioritized that when you were younger. Right. And so, there's, there's many areas of life where this idea of looking to the future and saying, what do I want my life to be like when in 30 or 40 years? Mm-hmm. Like what art target am I aiming at? I can't guarantee that I'll get there. I, I can't determine exactly what path I'm going to take, but which direction am I going and what proactive steps am I taking now to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, when it applies to, to finances, like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't save money, um, if you aren't wise with your money, if you love it, or if you love the experiences that it can, it provides for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a good plan for the future, because the money your 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 money will the money will run out, trouble will come, something some unforeseen problem will arrive. It may just simply the, the unforeseen problem might just be that you end up getting married and have kids, and you've not prepared your financial house in any way to mm-hmm. provide for that. So you're now you're behind and paddling and trying to catch up. Yeah. Um, and you have ideas. I remember saying to a young lady one time who was going to college or was, uh, going, she wanted to, um, she wanted to go into the, to be a, 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 a dental hygienist. And I said to her, I said, honey, if you do this and you get married, you're not going to be able, she, she wanted, she wanted to get married. She wanted to have kids. This were things she would say. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you just need to realize if, if you go and get this degree, it's going to mean that you're going to be this much, these tens of thousands of dollars in debt. Right. And if you get married, you're not going to be able to have the things you want, right? Like, because you're not going to be able to afford not to go work because mm-hmm. you're going to have this big mountain of debt. And she said, well, I just don't know if I'm ever going to get married. And I didn't know how to look at her and say, honey, you're going to get married. Yeah. 
And, and by God's grace, she did get married and she's, and she's got three children now. Um, but it was something that, that had a cost in her early years of marriage. Mm -hmm. She basically incurred a bill that she didn't like having to pay. Yeah. She did pay. She and her husband did. And they're, they're, they're faithful, but, um, it was a grief to them. And it was, I think it was a a lack of, of foresight and looking out into the future, um, because she's not a dental hygienist anymore. Mm-hmm. She did a lot of work and a lot of work to get it, a lot of work to maintain it, a lot of work to pay it off. Mm-hmm. But now she's doing what she wants, wanted to do. And so it's it's not to say that there that you can't come out of those things or recover from them, but there there is a cost to pick cleaning up the mess that you make. Right. Mm-hmm. And so generally, when it comes to finances and young people, I say if I can if I can help you not make a mess to have to clean up later, mm-hmm. we'll be better off. But that's going to mean delayed gratification. It's yep. going to mean uh, saying no to yourself, having an eye to the future. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I ask young men, I say, you know, what do you want to get married someday? What do you what do you want your life to look like in 10 years? And they say, okay, well, I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to have a good job. And I say, okay, do you go to work on time? <laughs> do you have a savings account? Mm-hmm. Do you Do you have any sort of a budget? Like... Yeah. How do you justify that, you know, new gun you just bought or whatever that fun crossbow? Cool, yeah. Whatever that cool <laughs> thing is that you just bought. Right. Like, yeah. It's, and it's not actually that I mind. It's like if you've got the money and that's what you want to spend the money on, okay, all I want to do is show you that you're trading that for something else in the future. Right. And so that you're making your, you're, you're, you're looking at all of it as you're making your decision. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some minimum thresholds we push a little harder on. Um, in terms of saving, in terms of talking about debt, in terms of giving, mm-hmm. um, being generous, um, those are things that we're not going to be able to be delaying for, and they're not going to be saying, "Well, I wanted to go on vacation, so I couldn't, I couldn't uh, right. save for for retirement, for a new or put new tires on my car, or whatever." The right. it's like there's just expenses to life that you got to account for. Yeah, I think something that a lot of people don't want to face, but is almost always true, is that. If you are an American living anything close to a, mid- a middle-class lifestyle, you can probably have most everything you want as long as you're willing to wait for it because you can just save up over time and you can buy it without debt. That's mm-hmm. almost always going to be true for most people, assuming the things you want are not exorbitantly expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, delayed gratification is sort of the... It's sort of the great experiment of, like, of the Christian life is that we would delay the fleeting pleasures of sin for the eternal joy of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the cosmic delayed gratification. Will you say no now yeah. to get what God's promised you in the future? And so when I think of money, I think this is one area where you can learn and practice and exercise that muscle mm-hmm. um, that can actually teach your, your soul uh do good for your soul, teach you good lessons. If you learn to say no to yourself and to your impulses and to your desires, you're, you're, you're far better off in life. Mm-hmm. Proverbs says that, you know, that, that a man who's, uh, who's unable to control his spirit is like a city without walls. Right. And it's like, if you can't learn to say no to yourself at the point of your finances, your impulses, your desires, your comforts, what have you, you're, you, you leave yourself very vulnerable. Very exposed. And so my goal is not to say, and you need to be middle class and you need to drive really nice cars and you need to go on fancy vacations and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. A lot of those things aren't till still to this day are not true of my family, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but 
you can discipline yourself and learn um, through the way you manage your money to anticipate heaven and to look forward to it. And so it is a place where you're able to, to practice that or, or refuse to practice. Mm-hmm. There's a passage in Proverbs, a scripture in Proverbs that says, the one that loves oil and wine will not be rich. Um, and I think about it in two ways. First of all, uh, when, we, when we go down a path of constant gratification, um, we're not satisfied because there's always more desires to be gratified. Right. Like we don't we buy the new thing, the new the new widget or mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't it doesn't fill that hunger. Mm-hmm. It just leads to the next thing. And if so so on the one hand we don't ever reach contentment. And secondly, uh, we're poor. <laughs> yeah. Because we spent that money on instant gratification. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And so Yeah, I was reading an article today actually and they were saying that what happens what tends to happen is that as your life gets better and better, the threshold for what you consider to be a problem just keeps going down. <laughs> and it, it, first world problems, right? Yeah, they, right? they've talked about how first world problems is like an identify, identify, identifiable psychological phenomenon. Um, and the thing I think about too is that as it relates to money, is you can have what we call it lifestyle creep, where as you your income goes up. The, the amount of, like, the level of lifestyle it takes for you to be anything close to satisfied just keeps going up. And you, you start telling yourself, well, I have to have my manicure, or I have to have my expensive coffee, or I have to have my sports car, or whatever it is. But that's what happens, is that we, we start, like, your heart comes out through your checkbook, and we start to think of ourselves as someone who is deserving of these things. Um, and that, and I think that's why the Lord tells us to give 10%, like as a first fruit, um, like we should give to the Lord first because it's not actually our money. We, if the Lord blesses us with resources, we, we should not then conclude that we are deserving of those resources. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I think of money and I think of how many Christians or Americans, are, have just not been taught mm-hmm. basic finance. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it was true of me. Uh, you know, no one ever talked to me about, I mean, balancing a checkbook is pretty simple, mm-hmm. except nobody uses checkbooks anymore. And no one, no one reconciles their bank statements. Like, right. We just have a, you know, these little wallets full of plastic, and some of them come out of our bank account, and some of them have 25% interest, and we don't really keep track of any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's generally how we think about finances as a society. We think if I can afford my month, the monthly payment, then I can afford the thing. Mm-hmm. And we think of it in terms of our months. And so what I want to say is to, to the people who have not been taught these things, um, the Bible is not going to teach you chapter and verse how to be a good steward of your finances. There are good programs out there that can help you uh, understand what the Bible has to say about debt and mm-hmm. about building wealth. Um, I'm not a fan of absolutely everything Dave Ramsey says, um, but in general, he, I mean, he's been very helpful to me right. his, and my wife, um, lacking the basic instruction about debt um, and building wealth and how these things work. Um, it was very helpful. And so my goal is not to reinvent the wheel or act like I can say it or do it better than someone's been doing it mm-hmm. a good job of it for decades. Right. Um, what I want to say to you is if you, if you have not 
if you find like this whole topic is just very depressing to you and discouraging, then actually what you need to do is go learn about this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to constantly be per, be discouraged and ignorant and vulnerable at this point. You need to go and strengthen the knees that are weak and learn about this stuff. Not so you can become rich, not so you can keep up with your neighbors, so that you can honor God and enjoy the things that he's given to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my wife and I learned these things later and at made significant mistakes of, along the way. Um, we've never been great budgeters and great savers. And, you know, we like, we're like you guys, we love our <laughs> Starbucks and we'd love to go on vacation all like, you know, and the difference for us is we've got so many kids. There are so many mm. mouths to feed. Like, even Dave Ramsey's percentages of like, well, you should spend this much on food and this much on clothes. It's like, yeah, right. Just read him and laugh hysterically. <laughs> well, because it because the percentages don't apply sure. directly to my family because right. he's not that that and that's not his fault. He didn't fail. He's just not dealing with families of twelve and thirteen every day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know? And so um one of the things that uh, you know, I would say to people who have if you have large families, it may be that you work really hard at finances. It may be that you've worked really hard to stay out of debt. It may be that you just feel hopeless about your your about money and ever getting ahead. Um, you have to trust God, whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're in your situation because you made stupid decisions or because you think you made right decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you have, if you choose to have a big family, what I can say is is if if you desire a big family and God answers your desire. You will not keep up with the Joneses. Your family, yeah. your life will not look like your neighbors. The things you do, the things you buy mm -hmm. will all be different. It'll all be different. And you have to you have to come to terms with that and say, we trust that God's going to provide enough, mm -hmm. not an excess. And we're going to look really strange, um, but our investment is in souls. Our investment is in people, is in the kingdom of God. And if we die without, you know, being millionaires, that does not, it's not an indication that we've been unfaithful mm -hmm. as Christians. God does call us all to different, gives us different callings in life. And some of those callings are more lucrative than others. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we would choose our professions and choose our family size and choose our, uh, all the details of our life simply based on the, the dollars and cents of it, I don't think is, I think that is a way of loving money. There are times that as a Christian, I mean, if, if your money is tight, the idea of concept of tithing or being generous is just antithetical to, on ma mathematically, it doesn't make sense to give away a portion of your income if you're trying to build wealth. Right. But God says that we can trust him with the things that, that he's given to us, that it's actually his anyway. And it actually produces a spiritual good in us. It produces a joy in us. It's something that we are able to give back to God to, with gratitude and with contentment. Um, but it does mean that we have less in our homes to, to manage and to spend or save or whatever it is we're going to do with it. Um, we want to do things for ourselves and for, and teach our children to do things that, that we believe God is, we know God is, is clear on and has called us to. And so being good stewards of our money, being generous with our money, not loving money, mm -hmm. um, are things that we can be sure God's called us to do. Now, if we're, if we're sure that God's called us to um, be a garbage man, guess what? You're not going to make as much as a financial advisor 
or a school teacher mm-hmm. or like there, there are professions you can go look on Glassdoor or wherever you can figure out whether this is a lucrative job or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's good information to have, right. but it's not the information you should, you should uh, order your life around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, I would, the only pushback I would give to that is I do think there are certain types of things where if you want to have seven kids, like you probably need to try to go into a field where you're not going to make 35 grand a year. It's going to be very, very hard if you make 35 grand a year and you want to have seven kids. Like there, there is some, like yeah, actually do look at the salary to some degree. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of it in terms of ambition. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you want to have seven kids, taking your example, that's ambitious. Yeah, that ambition should be bearing itself out in other places in your life, and it will probably produce more than thirty five thousand dollars a year. As, as just an example of an right. income that would be in most areas of America insufficient to support that family. Um, your ambition should bear good fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, m- most people don't stumble into having seven kids. Right. It's a choice you make. And with that, with those choices come responsibilities, but also come standards of living. Like you have to realize if you have seven kids, you're not going to be living just as comfortably as people who have two. If you decide you're going to, if you're, if you have a single family income, a home, that's going to have real implications for your, for your life. The median income in America is 75,000 or uh, household income is about 75 grand a year. I just read, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. Um, it's a lot less money for seven people than, or eight people than it is for two or three. Mm-hmm. And, that doesn't mean if you have seven or eight people, you can't live on that or can't figure out how to live on that. But it does mean that really uh, obvious things in your life are going to be different than the than they are in your neighbor's life. And you're going to have to interpret that to your kids without bitterness or frustration about why they don't have uh, some of the, the eases and comforts and perks that maybe the friends have. Mm-hmm. But what they have are siblings and family dinners and things that are that in the end are are going to be more spiritually beneficial for them than having the coolest new shoes and the new gadget right. that that's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, to kind of wrap this up a little bit, um, what would you say to someone who says, okay, I, I see that the love of money is the root of all evil, um, but I don't have very much money. Like, is that, does that verse apply to me? Cause I don't have very much anyway. Uh, or how can somebody know if they're falling into the love of money? You don't, for one, you don't have to be rich to love money. I grew up poor and you don't have to have a bunch of money to, to love money, rule your life. Um, so I think the better question is if, in terms of love of money is, well, what do I do with what I have and what do I hope to get out of it? Some of the most freeing, uh, times that we've had, I've had in my life or that I've observed in other people's lives is whether they've got a lot of money or whether they've got a little bit of money. It's not, it doesn't get them up in the morning and it doesn't keep them up at night. Mm-hmm. They live their life and they're happy and they, they carry on and they're generous and they just don't worry about it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, who by worrying, you know, who by, who by worry can add $5 to the bank account. Right. Like <laughs> if there's a problem, devise a plan and, and go after it, figure out how to solve it. But 
if money, if, if, if you're just like my whole mission in life is to make six figures and to be a millionaire and to be one of these, uh, fire guys, right. <laughs> Financially yeah. independent, retiring early. It's like actually the, the, the studies coming back on them is that they are very unhappy people and that they have all this money and aren't able to spend it. And they have no, they, they, they just are miserable. So then they go back to work. It's like, but they sacrificed things they can't get back to get where they're at. Yeah. That's why they're miserable. Yeah. And so. Some of those blogs actually say, don't have very many kids because it'll prevent you from uh, being able to retire early. Yeah. I mean, that's profound. Mm -hmm. Kids, having kids limits your income potential Mm -hmm. and increases your expenses. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's the difficulty of having kids. I mean, it's a funny thing. The world can figure out that having kids is, uh. A, a drain on your independence, on your uh, freedom, on your financial progress and your wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think Christians should look at this and say, we're going to love the things that God loves. We're going to prioritize the thing that God, things that God prioritizes. And we're going to trust him to, to work out the math side of that mm-hmm. as well. We're not going to be as uh, comfortable, rich as the rest. And if that's the case... That's okay. Yeah. Um, the wealthy Christians that I've known are, um, they spend, they, they have a lot of work on their hands, actually. That until you have money, you don't realize <coughs> mm-hmm. um, the burden that it is. And what, one of the things you realize about people who have money, whether they're, really, whether they're Christians or not, uh, is they're fairly frugal people mm-hmm. as a rule, generally. Yep. They might have some nice things. Like they might have a really nice car, but they probably don't buy hundred dollar pairs of jeans and they probably don't all drive really fancy BMWs and Lexuses. And, you know, like they, they're, they're happy to drive their Chevy or their, or their Ford and they're happy to, to eat simple food, mm-hmm. not fancy, terribly fancy food all the time. Yep. They can afford it when they want to. But most of the time, if you were to go like, look at their grocery sacks, it's like, oh, you went shopping at Kroger like me. Mm-hmm. Or Walmart, or you know, yeah. or Meyer, wherever it is, like Aldi. Yeah, yeah. They, because they realize, like, okay, well, that's that's fine. That's how we live. That's yeah. that's okay. We don't, we don't live this lavish Kardashian lifestyle mm-hmm. where everything is luxury. Yeah. Um, that's the thing that's been amazing to me being a financial advisor is I'm interacting with millionaires on a regular basis, and so many of them you would never know yeah. that they have money. You would. It, like, not only in, like, the stuff, like, the clothes they wear or the car they drive or whatever, but also just the way they carry themselves. They're, like, a lot of them are very humble, very unassuming people. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, and, th- and th- that's the other thing is that the way that you get to being a millionaire in most cases is by actually pinching the pennies. Like, a lot of a lot of my clients who are, are uh, have more money never made a bunch of money. No, they never made six figures and they just saved 15% for, four, for 30 years. And now they have a million dollars. Yep. Yeah. And so when it comes to Christians, it's, it's a hard thing, especially in America, because there's such pressure on you from social media, from your friends mm-hmm. to live and go and do far more than you're able to afford. Or even if you're able to afford it monetarily right now, there's a cost in the future that you're, for, you're, you're sacrificing. And so my encouragement to you is to trust God with your money, mm-hmm. to avoid debt, um, to live on less than you make, and to not worry about it. To just not worry about your money. 
It's there. Be a good steward of it, but it is not what constitutes your life. Some people will have more than you. Some people will have less than you. It's this way, not just with our money, but with everything in life. God mm-hmm. gives to each according to his own goodwill. And so we would do well to to pay a little less attention to what we don't have and what other people do have and be content to serve God with in the place and with the resources that he's given to us. Amen. Yeah.